Right, welcome back to the podcast, Steve Sully Study. I'm here at my second home, should be my first home because I'm here all the time at Woodbury House Private Art Gallery in Mayfair. I've got a brilliant guest in front of me, a guy that I've been pursuing for actually a little while now. And because of our mutual friend, Mr. Rob Moore, I finally got him on board. Carl, thank you very much for your time. I'm really looking forward to this podcast episode. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. First and foremost, what do you think of the space? Well, we've just had a walk around, haven't we? And we've um, seen, some, seen some great, great pieces of art. I don't know too much about art, which we, uh, I know more now than what I did earlier. <laughs> um, yeah, great. The, the, I mean, the, the, the gallery is amazing. Congratulations. Thank you very much, mate. So, um, do you come into London much, being a supercar or a car dealer? Yeah, I mean, uh, 70% of our business is done within a, a square mile of here. Mm-hmm. The, um, I mean, when I was growing up, you know, before the the age of uh, social media, it was quite a privilege to see a Ferrari, a Porsche, a Lamborghini, and I was literally in awe. I still am kind of today, but more so when I was younger. I do feel like some of the, the excitement has slightly been lost because of social media, because you're seeing it all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, I literally remember going over to a, uh, a petrol garage, saw a guy pulled up in a red 355 Ferrari. It's probably still my, one of my favorite Ferraris today, a gated one. Mm-hmm. And I went over and my dad was like with me and the guy thankfully said, look, you can, you can sit in it if you want. And I'll tell you what, that lifted my whole entire week. And the benefit of working in London, you do get to see a lot of the, the supercars. I love it as well over the summertime when a lot of the Arabs come over with their supercars. They're out, outrageous. You must have some uh, guard from UAE buying a car from you. Yeah, I mean, we've got um, a lot of high profile customers over in the UAE, a lot of the royal family um, when they come over to this country rather than uh, ship cars some of them ship their cars over, some of them buy cars, because they have property in London anyway, so they, they'll buy cars for the summer whilst they're here, and um, when they're finished, they'll store them back at ours until they come over next year and bring them back again, so yeah, or yeah. swap them for something else. So I want to um, I want to just ask you a little bit about your father, because he is the founder of Tom Hartley, hence mm-hmm. the name, and his name is Tom. Um, I've got here, I wrote this down earlier, that he actually walked out of school at 11 years of age to pursue being a business person. Did he really walk out at 11 as, years of age? As did I. Wow. Yeah, as did I. It's like a family trait. <laughs> um, and then I've got here that by the age of 17, he made his first million. How true is that? Yeah, no, it's it's, it's all 100% true. We're talking of first, his first million when he was 17, which would be in 1978. So a million pounds in 1978 was a lot of money. Yeah. It's a lot of money now, but it was uh, it was a lot of money then. Phenomenal. Mm. I'm, as you can see on my nose, on my box, I, I, and Friday mornings is, is sparring from me. So mm-hmm. typically the staff and also a lot of my clients, unfortunately, I've always got to do the same talk with them, like they, I do boxing and raise mm-hmm. money, etc. cetera. Um, so my back, background is boxing. I've had 16 fights. Last fight was, was last year. And anyway, a lot of the people that I spar with and, and fight against are travelers. Mm-hmm. And I was actually doing some research that your, your father, it was a Rome... Romy Gypsy from, mm-hmm. from Glasgow, is that right? Mm-hmm. Um, I've had a lot of successful entrepreneurs on my podcast who also got a very, very similar background. Alfie Best, Alfie Best Jr., a lot of boxers, etc. Why do you think that gene of being a traveller, why does it, it seems to give them, give people who are travellers an advantage in business? Is it because of their hustle? Is it because of their confidence? Why do you think that is? No, I don't think, I don't think in business has got anything to do with that, if I'm honest. Um, I think maybe if you look at the boxing side of it, I mean, it's, it's, 
it's just a tradition um, uh, for travelers to be to be into boxing. Um, in business, I I don't feel it gives anyone an advantage or a disadvantage. Um, what what you know where you're from or, or what you are, I I just think um, predominantly. Um, it's that will to never give up and to to keep going and to not take no for an answer. Um, but you know anyone can can have that instilled in them. Um, so I don't think in business that makes an advantage. I was just leaning on the fact that they seem to have so much confidence. I've never met a shy traveller. You know they've always got a bundle of energy, very very confident, and they're very good at selling. On that note, who's a better salesperson, you or your dad? <laughs> Um, if you buy something right, you don't need to try very hard to sell it. So the, the selling's all in the buying. Yeah. Um, you know, we, we, work really, we work really well together and everything I know I learned from him. So, um, I suppose you've got to say him really in that case. Um, I'm doing a bit more research in 2018, the 22nd of May, the mail online, and they don't always get everything right. Um, they said that your net worth back then was 23 million pounds. When was that? 2018, the 22nd of May. Mm-hmm. How accurate is that? Yeah, I think it'd have been quite accurate, yeah. And your dad, 130 million. How accurate is that? Well, neither of them would be very accurate in today's terms, but back then probably, yeah. I mean, look, you're a young man. Um, you know, you've got a, you know, a whole whole heap of goals and achievements to, to, to hit over the next 5, 10, 15, 20 years. That's a staggering amount of money that you've achieved so far. How do you feel when, when you hear numbers like that? I'm not really too, um, I don't really get caught up in it too much. Um, I never stand still long enough to look at the view, if that makes sense. You just, every day is another day, you've got to keep going and uh, you wake up and do the same again and you go to sleep and you wake up and you do the same again. So I don't ever really sit back and go, wow, you know, I've, I've done what I've wanted to do because I haven't, because I don't really know what I want to achieve. You know, there's no end goal. It's just keep going. Yeah. See what happens. The road is, uh, especially in, 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 in our business, um, it's, it's great. The people you meet, the places you go, the things you see, um, they're worth more than money. You know, they're memories. And um, if we can make some money along the way, then it, um, it helps. Yeah. I mean, someone said it to me, uh, actually yesterday, a podcast guy called Dean Forbes, who's had four su- successful exits. Um, his last one was about a year ago. Uh, Futuro, I think his business was, sold for over a billion euro. And oh, right. obviously being CEO, he had, a, he had a clip of that. And he said, it's just a scorecard. Like yeah. that's, that's, how, that's, how, that's how you kind of, uh, you know, you can, you can kind of, you know, look at the numbers and, and, and see your score. Mm-hmm. Um, so over the next few years, Carl, I know you've built up a very, very good brand with, you, with your dad. And I want to talk to you a bit more about it. Will it just remain cars? Or do you think you would pivot into other, other sectors? Well, the, the, the name Tom Hartley has become more than a car dealership. It is a brand. And we know we venture out into all types of luxury items. Obviously, 99.9% cars. But to do a deal on a car sometimes, you've got to take in some watches or you've got to take in a boat or a helicopter. These are things that we're, we're very familiar with doing, which I've done from a very young age. Um, Look, if you can sell a car, you can sell a watch. The same, it's the same buyer. The same buyer probably would buy a helicopter. He's the same buyer. He probably wants a boat as well. So, you know, that, that luxury aspect, that's what, that's what the Tom Hartley brand is. So, so you're telling me that, let's say someone's going to buy, I don't know, a LaFerrari, mm-hmm. an Enzo, a Bugatti, 
uh, Pagani, you mm -hmm. know, the, the, the car that you own, mm -hmm. they might come along to you. So look, I've got part of the cash, but in actual fact, I want to give you a Richard Mill mm -hmm. and I want to give you my helicopter, which is worth X. You would entertain that conversation. Of course. Yeah, 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 of course. I mean, that's something that happens very frequently. Wow, I didn't yeah, even yeah, realise. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. We do it here with, you know, uh, a client might buy a standing shadow Richard Hamilton, £160,000, and then they say, oh, I actually want one of those rodeos that he produced, very rare, rare ones, which are floating in around a million pounds. Mm -hmm. If I give you that, plus the difference, would you take it? And a lot of the time, if it makes sense for us, and, you know, we're we're in a fortunate position, we'll, we'll, we'll do it. So I, I totally get it, but... That's art and art. I, I never thought about watches, helicopters, other passion assets, then contributions towards a car. Well, moving forward, I'm now going to incorporate art into the um, into the scenario. Now we are now connected. You know, there's you, you'll see uh, you'll see more maybe come your way because of a scenario I might find myself in where someone says I've got a Richard Hamilton I want to swap against the car. You know, it, it can happen. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's, it's happened before with art, but unfortunately, I don't really know much about it. Now, you, you have to limit yourself a bit to your knowledge. You can't know everything about everything. So I, I stick to what I'm good at. And the things that I'm passionate about, I'm passionate about cars. I love cars. That's First and foremost, that's my love. Secondly, I love watches. Um, so I know, you know, enough about one of those to, um, to value them. And then helicopters and boats and stuff, you just go on experience. You just go on, okay, well, the last one we had was an Augusta 109, and it was this much, and it was 2017, and we sold it for that. So you just adjust like you would a car. Could you give me a real-life example of someone coming in? Don't tell me the, the person, of course, but mm -hmm. let's say a car, the amount of money it, it was going to cost them and the assets that they contributed towards that deal. Well, like I say, watches is very, very common. Um, I recently... Took nine watches against two cars, um, being an, you know, an RM11 Le Mans, an RM11 Ultimate, um, some Patek Philippe's, um, and part exchanged a 488 Pista and a Lamborghini SVJ. So, um, you know, that was, that was something. No money changed hands. We managed to get close enough where it was just like, there's your watches, there's your cars, off you go. Amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What um, a great deal. Yeah, you know, we've had it in the past with boats, you know, Sunseekers. Um, with boats, you're not going to go too extravagant because obviously, you know, a hundred foot sun seekers, 8 million euros. So, you know, you know, 40, 50 feet, something like that. We also have underwriters for that kind of thing. We can't stick a boat in the showroom. I can put a watch in my cupboard, but we can't stick a boat in the showroom. So, you know, I have underwriters that I deal with and say, look, you know, this is coming in. Do you want to give a bid on it? I need X, Y, Z. And, you know, nine times out of 10, it just goes to them. Yeah. I want to ask you a couple of quick fire questions. I normally do this at different parts of the the conversation, but I'm 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 gonna I'm gonna ask you them, and then there's a reason why I want to ask mm -hmm. you. You know, we're gonna talk talk about it after. So so Tom Hartley, Redline, who's better? Do I have to answer that? <laughs> Can you answer that? <laughs> uh, Roman Internationals or Tom Hartley? <laughs> Look, everyone that's everyone that's in this business with us, I have a lot of respect for, a lot of time for. Um, I have good relationships with most people, although the relationships is quite limited. We get on, we do our own thing, as do other people. Mm -hmm. um, we all have our customers, and they have their customers, but yeah, a lot of their customers come to us and don't go back. Um, the Re reason but, why I started with Redline is because when you type in who is the best supercar dealer in the country, sometimes you actually come up, but then you go onto other uh, sort of uh, pages and then it's, it, 
they keep on referencing Redline. And I'm going to be honest, I know Romans. Mm-hmm. I've been in Romans. I know Joe Macari. I've mm-hmm. been in there. I've met Joe Macari. I know Bob, I always pronounce this wrong, Forstner. Bob Forstner, yeah, yeah. And Amari. I don't know who Redline are. Like, like I say, there, um, there's, you know, the list could go on day and day and day and keep going for, for how many people are, are in this, are in this business. Um, this is our 50th year this year, 2023. We've been in business for 50 years. As long as that list may be, there's only one name that's been there for 50 years and that's us. So, you know, big respect to everybody else out there doing what they do and they all do a great job. But there's only one Tom Hartley cars. What's your USP then in comparison to, to that list? Well, I think we operate, I think everyone operates differently. Um, although I think we operate in a way that nobody else can operate. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. So you, let me talk you through um, the, the facility that we have when you come, and, you come and view a car. We have two showrooms. One is a 25,000 square feet, three-story showroom that holds 65 cars with glass floors and glass lifts and my office is totally glass and we hold some of the best supercars there in the world. Um, you can fly in by helicopter, we'll pick you up, we'll drop you off. Um, your wife can get a spa appointment on site whilst you're looking around the cars or vice versa. Your husband can get spa appointments while your wife's looking around the cars. Um, and we're open 24-7 every single day. We can't be beaten on price and we pay more than everybody else. So... That's us. We also pay instantly on the spot. We don't need to sale or return cars, um, which some dealers do. That's fine. That's up to them. That's probably good business because they don't need to invest any of their own money in stock. We prefer to because we move stock so quick. We um, we probably have a quite a similar business model as far as the art market, the gallery model, and also the supercar dealership. And here's what I mean. You can either have things on consignment or you can buy things outright. And as you well know, if you buy things outright, you get a better deal. Mm-hmm. Um, you're not under the, under the pressure by the seller then because you own it. They're, they're paid out and then you can advertise it and hopefully flip it on and make, make some money. I heard that the reason why you guys are very, very successful and why you've got an advantage over many other car super dealers is because you're cash rich. Mm-hmm. 100 million in cash ready to buy cars. How true is that? Yeah, very true. I wish someone would come and test it. <laughs> was that um, was that always the, the 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 strategy, the business model to have cash in the bank so you're ready to buy? Yeah, anything? I mean, look, cash is king um, when it comes to trading, buying and selling something. If you can't pay for it, then you you can't buy it. Um, obviously, that's built up within fifty years of business. And you know, you ask me who's the best supercar dealer in the country. Well, show me someone else that can go toe to toe. Um, it doesn't happen overnight. It wasn't given to us by somebody. You know, we had, we earned it 50 years in business. You know yourself, how long is it, how hard is it to stay in business for a long time? It's hard. You've got to do things correct. You've got to do things right. And um, yeah, that's what we do. Yeah, it's amazing. So talk to me about like the, the, the culture that you, your brand, you and your dad as business partners, all the staff members at your, your place, What's the culture like? If I were to walk in there, let's just say I was going for a job interview mm-hmm. and uh, I really wanted to be one of your sales guys there. Mm-hmm. What would I expect as one, as, as one of your employees? It's like walking in home. You have a homely feeling, you know? Every one of my staff are like family. I don't have a big staff. I don't have 300 people walking around. Um, we might have 15, 16 staff. 
but they're all like part of the family. When you come to the showroom, you come to our house. That's where we live. We live there. So you're not on the side of the road, passing traffic. It's completely by appointment only. It's completely, if you've got an appointment to come at two o'clock, there's not another customer there at two o'clock. That time's completely for you. You either deal with me, you deal with me dad, you deal with our sales manager, but we will always be there as well. Um, it's a personal feeling, you know, it's, and people have said to me loads of times when they've bought a car, I'm so glad to be part of the Tom Hartley family now, you know, and that's, that's, I think, I think that's important. And you, you touched on it earlier. I mean, we, we get it as well. Most of our business comes from repeat business. Mm -hmm. um, our, our goal all the time is to try and find new collectors because as you well know, it's a, it's a lifeline to, to, to lifeblood of, uh, yeah, of any business. Um, how many times are people repeating business with you? Five oh. times, 10 times, 20 times? Oh, I mean, we've got some clients that you, the number, I don't even know what the number is. You know, it's, um, we pride ourselves on repeat business. Um, we look after people. If you don't get looked after, you don't come back. You go to a restaurant, the service is bad, you don't come back. Um, and like you with your art collectors, there's, there's people who are car collectors. And, you know, they, they trust us and they, 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 they keep coming back. And that's a, um, that's a compliment to us. So you, you, look, this is the first time I met you and the mm -hmm. first time I've been in your presence, but obviously I've been following you for some time and also the whole, whole brand. Um, I can see on social media, you've got a lot of energy, but until you meet someone, um, you don't know whether it's just for the camera, but then behind the scenes, they, they, they might not have a lot of energy. You clearly have. And I think selling your brand, selling your service, selling your product is so important to have that, that energy because without that energy, you could probably have the best brand in the world and also the best product, Ferraris, Lamborghinis, etc. but they're not going to shift. No. How do, you, how do you have that natural energy, Carl? You just said it's natural. So it's, it's, it's something I was, I was brought up as a kid just watching the greatest to ever do it. And you learn from him. Obviously, that's my dad. And... Um, yeah, I just wanted to, you know, do whatever he'd done and, and, and seen how he'd done deals. And, you know, it also comes from, um, it's very important to have a personality, whether people like your personality or they don't like your personality, not everyone's going to like you. Um, it's important to have a personality. Um, and I feel like you get that through experiences and through meeting different people from different cultures, different parts of the world, and just adapting to their way of life for that one day to be respectful for, for who they are. So um, I think personality comes with experience and character comes with experience as well. Mm. And I've been doing this since I've been 11 years old. So, you know, I'm 35 now. Um, although I've been physically doing it since I've been 11 years old, I've been in the car business for 35 years. I was brought up with it. So, you know, it was just, it's just, it is nature. I'd love to meet your dad one one day. He seems like yeah, a le 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 legend, the man. Um, what is he like as, a, as an individual in the business and outside the business? Very normal. Very, very normal. Um, very unassuming. Um, doesn't like, like flash things. Doesn't like to um, really stand out too much. Um, he, 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 you know, the watch he wears is a watch that I bought him because... He's not into watches and he just didn't really wear one. Um, drives a Volkswagen Golf. Um, at the minute he drives a Land Rover Defender because he's blowing the Volkswagen Golf up. The engine's gone. <laughs> but, you know, that's that's him. He's, he's, he, wouldn't, he wouldn't think twice about 
um, oh, that floor's dirty. I'll just mop that up real quick for, before this customer gets here. You know, it's just that work ethic. And he's just, um, people still say to me, you know, how is he still driven? I don't even look at it as he's still driven. It's just him, you know? He doesn't wake up every morning, like, like I don't wake up every morning and think, oh, God, I've got to go to work this morning. You get up and you just do what you do in life. You, you carry on with your life and this business is our life. So, um, yeah, he's, he's very down to earth. He's, he's actually, um, as a stranger who doesn't know him, who's met him the first time, depends what day you catch him on. You can, you can think he's very uh, straight to the point, um, quite abrupt because he's, you know, he's a 64-year-old from Scotland. You know, he's very old-fashioned in that way. But you know what? When his guard's down, he's, he's a scream. He's funny. We have a, we have a proper laugh. Um, we find ourselves laughing in the most strangest situations, situations you shouldn't laugh in. Uh, but we get on so well. We just, we, 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 we bounce off of each other. And to be locked in an office with me and him, like as a member of staff, say, like, I mean, energy's, energy's going all, all over the place, you know? Owning Baganis, owning Bugattis, you know, having nice watches, going around the world, heard about your skydive in Dubai, playing golf, etc. I mean, it's all fantastic. But life, certainly for your dad, probably never started like that. And setting up the business and fast forward the clock and you've got this great brand and a lot of success and everybody knows you and you've got a great follower online there must have been some pitfalls and challenges along the way. Well, look, my life didn't start like that. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I, my dad had a very, very successful car business before I was, before I was born. That, that, goes, that goes without saying, everybody knows that. But in no way, shape or form was it to the magnitude as it is now. Um, and I would be an utter failure if that wasn't the case, because what's the point of staying static? We don't, we don't stay static year on year, let alone, you know, decade by decade. Um, you know, he's had, he's had some, he, well, you should buy his book um, and read his book. He, he brought an autobiography out a couple of years ago that's done very, very well on, on, uh, on Amazon. I think at one point it was the third largest selling business book in the UK. You know, he, he, as a young man, he, 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 he had everything and then lost it and then had to go back and get it, um, which, you know, as, as you know, the respect for someone who can do that is a lot vast for someone who can earn it. Someone who can earn it, lose it and then get it back is just incredible. So I know you've got a brother mm -hmm. who used to work with you guys. Um, and I think about five years ago, six years ago, he departed. Now he's got his own... Um, his own brand mm -hmm. and his own business. And my understanding is he's got a bit of a niche because he goes to the old racing cars and he brokers the deals there. Um, why did he step away from the business? Family business. You know, um, three people in a family business. Um, he had a, a, a different view of where he wanted to go. Um, me and my dad are very much on the same page. Um, my brother is an incredible businessman. Um, he's incredibly good at what he does. By far, in his market, I think the best in the world. And um, yeah, I don't know anybody else that does, that does what he does as well as he does it. Because he will put his money where his mouth is also. You know, when we're talking about 1978, Nicky Lauda winning F1 cars. I mean, who can value that? Who can value that? It's mental. Yeah, but he does. 
And the type of people buying those items, that they are pure collectors, fanatics of F1 card, for example. Do they even drive me things? Well, look, we, we, share, we share the same customers, um, but for different cars. Um, obviously, some collectors have your, your luxury cars, your supercars, your hypercars, but then, you know, they'll have their extreme collectible items. Um, so our paths do kind of cross now and again, because obviously my brother still stocks supercars and hypercars as well on a smaller percentage than what we do. And we still stock collectible classic vintage cars on a smaller scale than what he does. Um, so our paths do cross now and again, but um, we, we manage to keep things very, um, very amicable. And we talk to each other a lot about what we're doing with who and where, if that conversation needs to be had. Um, so yeah, he's, um, he's, he's, he's incredibly good at what he does. I know we touched on like the cash in the bank, ready to buy, you know, a bunch of cars at the drop of a hat, which puts you in a great, great advantage. Um, I think it's a very smart business move. How much are you turning over every single year? How much does the business turn over? Turnover, turnover is vanity. Yeah. Profit sanity. Sanity. Alfie best, that's 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 top and bottom of it. You yeah, know, you can turn over a hundred million and earn half a percent. Well, some of, some of the cars that you've got are just ten million on their own. Can, um, they can be, yeah. So so it's got to be well over a hundred million then. Yeah, yeah, it will be, yeah, yeah, well, yeah, yeah. But I don't, I don't look at turnover. I'm not interested in turnover. I'm not really interested in volume. I'm interested first and foremost keeping the brand where it is and moving it even higher than what it's at. Secondly, by doing that, you're killing two birds with one stone because you're, you're keeping your client base happy and you keep them from coming back and you're helping fulfill their dreams and ambition. You know, they, they started off a business 10 years ago and their ambition was to buy a Ferrari. Well, for me to be part of that dream, for them to come to me to buy their Ferrari is amazing. And then after that, you know, obviously I'm interested in profit. So <laughs> I want to, I want to keep, I keep my eye on that very closely. So, you know, profit, profit for me is more important than turnover or volume. And Carl, do you just stick to what you know? So like when there's a healthy amount of profit and there might be not necessarily a dividend, but there's money in, in the company, do you guys between you and your dad just reinvest into load of other cars as personal investments or do you pivot off and buy property, for example? Yeah, well, we have two two slightly different interests. My dad is um, out and out a businessman. Um, so anything that earns him money, he will invest into. I love cars. Um, I'm like, I, I love cars. I love watches. Nothing else really gets me going. Well, I love women, but obviously I'm married. <laughs> but um, nothing else gets me going like, like, like those things. And... Obviously, I don't necessarily buy things. I buy things with my heart, but as long as my head agrees. So, you know, I'm not going to pay too much money for something because I want it. You know, I let my customers do that. I put my money into certain watches and certain cars that I love. But I also feel like if I didn't buy it, I'd call one of my good clients up and say, look, you should buy this car. This car's going to go up to 30% in the next two years, you know, so I, I like to put my money in, in, in cars and into, into watches. My dad does with property. Um, he's got uh, um, holiday, holiday lets, um, residential uh, properties that he lets and also sells. So yeah, he's, he's, a bit into, um, he's a bit into everything. A car does nothing for him at all. 
crazy. It, it, nothing whatsoever. So why did he get into the car market if he's not even turned well, on by cars? Yeah, but I think he used to be. I, I think it's like, you know, um, like working in a bank or owning a bank. You see this table full of cash for the first time. Oh my God, look how much money's there. But you see it after 40 years. You're like, can someone get rid of that table? <laughs> you know? So, um, yeah, he's just... Yeah, you know, I, I love I love collectible cars. I love rare cars. Um, I can appreciate classic cars, although I've had my share of classic cars. And I just found out that I don't really enjoy them as much as I do my super hyper cars. Hmm. Let's talk about the investment side of, of cars. Very, very similar to, to, to the art market. Um, I've got my own take on the demographic or the audience who are pivoting away from traditional areas and buying supercars, buying watches, buying art and whiskey, etc. I think there's a few different motivations now because the climate's changed. Um, recessions, you know, mm -hmm. you're 35 years young. Mm -hmm. You've seen your fair share of ups and downs, no mm -hmm. doubt, in, in the economy. Is buying or, yeah, is buying supercars, is buying proper luxury blue chip cars a recession proof asset yes why well let's go back to 2008 when the world crashed Clearly and crashed. people who had millions or tens of millions in banks the safest place in the world put your money in the bank banks went bust if you were lucky they wrote you a check for 80 grand and said there you go Really sorry about that. Um, everything you got is gone. If you had, say you had three, four, five million pounds in the bank. Say you had that in art, cars, gold, whiskey, wine. They're still there. They're not going to come and take it because it's in a recession. It might have went down a bit, but it's still there. So that's why. And I think that's why we should be in a recession right now. You, you turn on Sky News, CNN, Bloomberg... Everyone's screaming, we're in a recession. This is going to be the worst recession. Well, I've been hearing this since COVID. When COVID hit, the whole world's going to be in recession. No, no, no. I don't know anybody in COVID that their business didn't go up 25, 30%. I don't know anybody. Because of that reason, oh, shit. Can I say shit? Mm -hmm. All right. Oh, shit. The, world, the, the world's ending. Remember what happened in 2008 when we lost everything? Well, let's go and buy some stuff that they can't take from us. Let's go and buy cars. I love cars. Let's go and buy cars. Let's go and buy art. You must have seen it with art, surely. Definitely. Has art gone up since COVID? Yeah. Well, there you go. Yeah. I think inflation, sky high. Cost of living, sky high. It's ridiculous. You know, low interest rates, stock market, very uncertain. Even property was hit because of the mortgage rate mm -hmm. hikes. And there's a lot of drama out there. So people turn to passion assets to preserve their money and make money in turbulent times. Mm -hmm. Um, at the end of the day, it's supply and demand. They're not making any more of this type of art. You can't go back in time and do a piece from 1985. It's just impossible. So therefore, more and more people buy it. They enjoy it, but they've also got savings in it, you know, and it appreciates over time. And I can imagine, well, your particular car is like a piece of art, but for the road. Um, you what, know, my Pagani? Yeah. Yeah, that thing, that thing shouldn't be able to move. <laughs> but it's uh, yeah, it's it's. I was going to bring it today, um, but I um I didn't. I'm glad I didn't because I'd have had to park it outside. And with the building work that's going on outside, I guarantee there'd have been some kind of mishap because it's really, really, really wide. Um, What's the full name of it? It's called a Pagani Huayra. And would you say that is the best car in the world? 
the best car in the world is like saying that red is the best color in the world or blue is the best color in the world. For me, um, it's one of my favorite cars. You become part of a very elite group. Um, there's only a hundred of them ever made. There's only four to the UK, right-hand drive. I'm one of the four. The other one of the four I sold to Singapore, so I'm one of three. I've sold the other one. That's gone into a collection that I'll never see the light of day. So I'm one of two. So um, it's just a very, very, very special thing. There's lots of special cars out there, but you know, if you ask somebody, when was the last time you seen a Pagani wire on the road? Even in London. I mean, this is the, the, the mecca for supercars is London. You know, in the summer, June, July, August, it's like a car show every day. Sloan Square, Sloan Street, Mayfair, Knightsbridge. There's every car in the world. You don't see many Paganis, unless to, I'm here. If I were to buy your Pagani, Huayra, mm -hmm. off of you today, mm -hmm. how big would the check have to be? It has to be very big, because it's not for sale. So it, your check would have to be very big. 10 million? Yeah, it's for sale for 10 million. <laughs> it's for sale for 10 million. How much do you think it currently Look, retails? if that car was on the market, for instance, and I bought it for stock and I was going to sell it, I'm trying to find a left-hand drive one for a client at the minute. So if anyone watches this and you have a left-hand drive wire, you need to contact me ASAP. Um, I can't find one for less than 3 million euros. And even at 3 million euros, I can't really secure the car. Um, my car's a right-hand drive car, one of four. So it should be worth more than that. Um, but anywhere between two and a half to three million pounds would be the market price on my car. I, uh, Although I've, you couldn't buy it for that. I, I've never been or driven a Pagani of any, any kind, but one of my favorites to certainly look at and the sound is to Pagani's Honda. Mm -hmm. That was one of the um, greatest cars ever made. I used to adore Lewis Hamilton's one, which was the... Uh, LH, 760 yeah, LH. Yeah, the, pur purple. the purple... Uh, Manual. Car carbon fiber manual, yeah. Um, what's the difference between Zonda and Huayra? Well, there's a big difference. Um, they, the Zonda, I mean, I remember having Zondas really when they first came out, 2002, 2003, when no one, not very many people really know what a Pagani is now. So 20 years ago, they really didn't know, only your real enthusiasts know. And, you know, these were 250,000 when they came out. That same car today, an unmolested example, like an original example, is, well, it's arguable. It's, you know, it, it's definitely 7 million. Um, it costs 250,000. We've bought them for less than cost over the years. Um, okay, so without boring everybody with my, you know, petrol head talk, the, the Zonda is a, a, a V12 naturally aspirated. My car is a V12 twin turbo. Both engines are made by AMG. Mine's a six liter. Um, the original Zonda that came out first was a 7.3. Um, the original Zonda that came out uh, was a manual. Mine is a sequential gearbox. Later on in life, they moved the sequential gearbox to the Zonda and then carried it over to the Wira. Um, the inside of a Zonda was very, very, very basic because all cars were very basic in 2002, really. Um, the inside of my car is like, like one of your, one of your sculptures. I mean, it's just, it's just incredible. It's I, like the workings of a Richard Mille watch, the interior on that car. I bet. I bet. I mean, I've seen photos. What I love about the Zonda is the sound. Yeah. 
and the, just the way it looks, I think it's so planted. It just looks like it looks like an evil spider, mm-hmm. you know, just sitting on on on, on the street somewhere. They literally go in a V, as Zonda does, from it's, the from the front to the back. The back is like two feet wider than the front. Like I said before, I've never driven one, so you being obviously a, a supercar dealer and probably mm-hmm. stepping foot in every single car out there. What is the experience that I would feel? What is it like to drive a, a Pagani Zonda? Well, uh, a client came out to the showroom in the summer um, in his Zonda. And what he didn't know, but I did. Uh, well, I don't think he knew. I'm, uh, maybe I'm not giving him enough credit. His Zonda and my Huayra have the same chassis number. So obviously there was chassis numbers for, for Zondas. Then when they finished, they made the chassis number for Wyras. Mine is 007 and his is 007. So when he came out in the, uh, in the, in the Zonda, um, we went out for a spin. He drove the Wyra, I drove the Zonda. And um, it's been a while since I drove one. And, you know, I'm not saying I drove it hard because them cars, are, you know, they, they can be lethal. Um, but what a car. I mean, that is the next McLaren F1 is that car and they're, they're climbing up there now you know you hear you hear stories of limited editions on selling for up to 20 million euros so you know they're nearly at that status hawaii is never going to be a zonda let's just make that very clear um but if it's half the car and does half as well as a zonda you know Everyone who owns a Wyro would be very happy. And what's it like just, you know, changing gear manually in a, in a, in a Zonda? Because um, I, I also remember from the Top Gear days, Jeremy Clarkson talking about this is the next Zonda, this is the next Zonda, this is the F, and yeah, I've yeah, just yeah. lost count. Yeah. How many different variations are there of Zonda? Depends how much you've got to spend. You go to uh, Horatio Pagani, and when he says, you know, Zondas, they're finished, that's the, that's the last Zonda off the line. If you've got enough, he'll make you another Zonda. Um, so... They're all very different. Um, what Lewis Hamilton had was one called a 760, which was 760 brake horsepower. It came with an air scoop and different spoilers and different aero. But you can, you can literally go to the factory, take your standard Zonda that's never been touched, go to the factory and say, hey, look, I want a kit that's on no other car. I want wheels that are on no other car. I want a different shaped spoiler, a different shaped air scoop that's on no other car. And they will, obviously, they have to wind tunnel it and test it and do all the right things. But if you've got enough money to pay for that, then they can do it. And you can have your own. That's why you see these Zondas like the LH. That's a 760 LH. That car's the only 7.4 Zonda in existence. You know, Pagani bored it out from 7.3 to 7.4, specifically for Lewis Hamilton as a, as a thank you. Um, so they're all, they're all very different. That car, I know the owner. I've never dro- driven it, but hopefully you will let me soon. I was going to say, because Lewis actually sold it, right? Yeah. How much is that car worth today? I don't know. I mean, if, you, if it were to come to your uh, sh- showroom and they said, look, I, I want to sell it. I'm not desperate, but I really want to sell it for almost top money. What would you speculate? Well, the only thing that I could compare it to is there's two variants of a Zonda that are relatively sim- similar. One is called a Cinque which is one of five. They made five coupes, five roadsters. Is it the white one with the red? Yeah, we had one of those. And I'm not even going to talk about what we sold it for um, when it was new. Um, or they do another one called a Tricolore, which is one of three. Now, I heard rumors that a Tricolore sold last year for 14 million euros 
Now, a trick law is one of three. It's probably not as famous or aerodynamically as impressive as XF1 champion Lewis Hamilton uh, car that he had from new. So, you know, north of that. Why would Lewis sell his Pagani? Why would anyone do anything? Uh, you know, who knows? Who knows? He's got so much money and like you would think that he would just keep that to the day he dies, but... Yeah, I mean, you know, if he kept it until, you know, like he was a lot older, for instance, because them cars are only going one way. Um, he certainly not wouldn't lose money on the car. Um, whatever he sold it for, he would always sell it for more in time to come. So, yeah, you know, I've, I don't know. What's Maybe your... he just walked downstairs one day and thought, oh, fuck it, I'm having a clear out. Yeah. <laughs> you know, no. I th- I, I, I'm led to believe that he was residing at that time, maybe in Monte Carlo, had the car over there. Um, and then maybe if he was moving, I don't know, for well, it's a pain in the arse, fingers. <coughs> Let's just get rid of it. Yeah, I mean, you don't know. Yeah. You don't know. You know, I, I, I speak to my clients all the time when you know, they've, they've, they've searched their dream car and they come to me, they buy their dream car and then a month later they call me up and say, Carl, do you want to buy this car back? Why? I don't know. I'm just done with it now. So if I don't, I don't, I can't work out how humans work. I have no idea. I was going to actually ask you about this because you know you must have the richest of the most wealthiest people in your books. I mean, your black book must be worth trillions and trillions and trillions of pounds. Um, what is their kind of burning desire to keep on collecting cars? Obviously, they're probably not doing it for the money. Um, they're doing it obviously to to maybe kudos. You know, they've got a Lambo, they've got a Ferrari, they've got a Bugatti, they've got a Pagani, they've got X, Y, Z. But is it a bit like a drug addict chasing that high? Are they chasing the high all the time? These people. Look, I've got to. I've got to. Um, can I move this forward? Yeah. I've got to put myself some sometimes in a, a collector's position because I kind of am in a way. So I'm coming back from uh, a restaurant the other night with a friend and he said to me, you know what? So the two cars I really want to buy at the minute is a 992 GT3 Touring, which I've got, and a 488 Pista, which I've got a Pista Spider. He said, I think they're the two ultimate cars. I said, you got two, both of them cars, like everything's ticked. He said, what about you? Any cars tomorrow, what would you have? I said, well, you know, I've got some cars that I would, you know, I've you know, dreamt about owning. But you know what? I want a, a Mercedes-Benz 560 SEC widebody. I want a Lamborghini Diablo Roadster. And I want a Bentley Continental Sedanka Coupe. Only because when I was a kid, those cars were your, you know, my, my poster cars on the wall. And, you know, some of them are worth a lot of money, but nothing compared to what a Pagani's worth or an F12 TDF or whatever. It's different moods. You know, I want them three cars. I'm going to buy them three cars. And when I've got them, I might have them for six months, 12 months, two years, and then think, oh, okay, now I want something else. So you get rid of them and get something else. So I think it's just moods. It's just, it's just I mean, I, I, I strive to get a Bugatti Veyron. I remember, I remember sitting in the car with my wife when uh, I was about 26 and I said to her, I said, you know what? I said, by the time I'm 30, I'm going to own a Bugatti Veyron or a Pagani. And um, they were the two cars. And by the time I was 28, I owned a Veyron. And by the time I was 32, I had both. So um, it's, it's what tickles your fancy, isn't it? Fair play to you, mate. That's impressive. What do you prefer then, the Pagani or the Bugatti? I've just done an article with Autocar 
because they're doing an article on uh, Bugatti and what's it really like to own a Bugatti. And I had some great times in, in, in my Bugatti and I loved, loved owning it. Like, I mean, so far, the experiences I had in that car completely supersede the experiences that I've had in the Pagani, maybe for different reasons. Maybe I was a bit younger and a bit more in love with, with, with cars or that specific car. Um, but, you know, I'd done 16,000 miles in my Veyron, um, which is a lot of miles to do in a Veyron. Um, you know, I used to take it to the gym. I used to take it to Marks and Spencers if I needed to get a sandwich. You know, that was that was that was my car. You know, when I wasn't going out seeing clients, I would go in go wherever I was going in that car. Um, service bills got a bit scary, um, and were starting to get a bit scary, and I think that's the only thing that is holding them cars back is maintenance. You know, I think if the cars were half the cost to ma- ma- maintain there would be double the price in value. You know, they say the average Bugatti owner owns 32 cars, two boats, and a plane. That's the average Bugatti owner. That's mental. Yeah. You said they're scary. Tell me a typical bill by Bugatti for a service and then something which is pretty scary. Okay, so you don't go swimming and not get wet. So when you buy one of these cars, you know... it's not a surprise. You know what you're in for. So a, a, an annual service is, I think it's 18,000 plus VAT for an oil change. Um, if you need a spark plug change as well, you can put another 10,000 on that. Then if you need tires, they're 27,000 a set. Then every third set of tires you have, you have to have a new set of wheels at 55,000 euros a set. This is just standard. This is before you even have an oil leak or need to replace one of the 10 radiators that are £10,000 each. You know, this is, this, is, this is just for starters. But, you know, I knew what I was getting into when I bought the car. Um, I searched for a very, very good car. Before I bought it, I had Bugatti inspect the car. So I knew there was going to be no surprises. I knew this was the script. Next year, I need to spend this much. Year after this much. You know, I know what I'm in for. The straw that broke the camel's back for me after doing 16,000 miles on it, and what was good about my car is I used it. So everything was kept lubricated, everything, no, no pipes went dry, there was no cracks, there was no leaks. You know, I was very lucky with my car. And they, they, they tell you, you know, we wish everyone would use their car like you do because we don't, you don't have any problems. You know, you hear stories about people having to replace turbos and engine out services and stuff like that. I mean, they could just get into the hundreds of thousands. I mean, that's scary. But in my personal experience, uh, I told this story to Autocar the other day. Um, so my car's gone in for service. As I've dropped it off at the service centre, which is in Acton, uh, North London, um, the, the, the switch that does the, um, the mirrors, the, the, the wing mirrors, was fine. It works. Everything works. The mirrors are fine. Um, but, you know, I was really OCD. And, you know, if I, if I put my finger on it, I could toggle it a little bit and it had a little bit of play in it. I mean, like half a mil of play, like nothing, but it just aggravated me. So I said to the service advisor, I said, do me a favor. When you service the car, just have a look at that switch because it might need a washer or tightening or something. I don't know. So he said, um, 
Yeah, okay, Carl, we'll, uh, we'll have a look at it and we'll, um, we'll send you a quote. Quote? Send me a quote. Okay. So later on in the day, they've sent me an email and the email was for, the quote was for nine and a half thousand pounds plus VAT. So like anything, like any bill I get or like anything in business, um, I'm all about justification. I can justify to you why you should pay me 2.6 million for a LaFerrari. Okay, so if someone can justify to me why that switch to tighten it up is going to cost nine and a half thousand plus VAT, I'll pay it. But you need to justify it to me. So my words to the service advisor was, how? Justify it to me. What, why is that the case? Well, Carl, you need, you need a new door card. You need a new switch. You need a new motor. You need a new mirror glass. I'm like, no, no, no. I don't need any of this stuff. Like, everything's fine. You wouldn't have spotted it unless I told you. Like, it's only because it's my car I spotted it. So I'm not paying that. That's, that's ridiculous. Leave it. So a customer of mine who makes all carbon fiber components for Formula One cars um, also has a Bugatti Veyron. He's one of these people, like, he would work on his own car. So I told him, and he said, look, next time you pass him, bring it down. I'll have a look at it. He's, he's an engineer by trade. So I brought the car down, left it with him um, for two days come into London for maybe a weekend, back out of London, car's ready, go and pick my car up. So I'm thinking, I don't know, I don't know what he's going to charge me here. You know, he's a customer, he's a friend, but he's still got a business to earn. His, his time still is something. He had to do some work. So, you know, what's it going to cost? So I got in there, toggled the switch. It was fine. How much do I owe you? Oh, he said, there was parts and labor. Um, and it was fiddly. So I said, okay, well, just get to the point. He said, uh, well, the parts, I couldn't just buy one. I had to buy five of them because that's what you get in a pack. You get five. So I can only, I know we only used one, but I had to buy five. Um, and it took me 20 minutes to do. And the parts for five of them were £1.89. So you get first round next time we're in the pub. And I was like, you serious? He's like, yeah, when we stripped it down, the washer that you needed was off a Volkswagen Transporter. I went on eBay, same part number, same VW stamp, same, it was the same part. Went on eBay, had to buy five, £1.89. So it took me 20 minutes to strip the mirror, strip the door card, never touched the mirror, strip the door card, put another washer in, replaced it. There you go, finished. They wanted nine and a half grand for that. Plus that. I know so you I was like, okay, I ain't playing this game no more. I know you're not saying this, but inadvertently, are we saying that the gay overcharge? Oh, no, I'm definitely saying that. <laughs> no, I'm definitely saying that. But it's their, it's their USB. It's what they do. It's, you know, people who own these cars, they buzz off that. They buzz off someone looking at them knowing that you have got money to burn because you drive a Bugatti. And that's why people buy them. It's the perception... On the other side of the coin, I know if you turn up to the Dorchester and the Bugatti, you're going to be treated like royalty. Um, you go to Hakkasan, Nobu, any of these fancy restaurants, people are going to go, wow, who's this guy? I mean, they, they know you anyway. But if, if they didn't know you and they saw the car, they'd be like, who is this person? They're either an athlete, super business person, celebrity, etc. There is the other side of it, which is the hate. What sort of hate have you had, Carl, because you've driven a Bugatti? Um, so, yeah, you know, 
I think I'm very lucky that um, the cars that I drive in the places that I drive them, um, I don't really get much of that, if I'm honest. You know, I, I, I see people, my wife gets more than I do. My wife's got a white G-Wagon and the car before that, you know, it was forever getting keyed. You know, you'd get keyed wherever she went, it would get keyed. The, the door was keyed, the bonnet was keyed. Like, it's just, it's, it's, a, it's a young girl in a G-Wagon. Like, why would you do that to a female? I've never had anything like that. Um, I have, but not in those kind of cars. I think people would be scared of going near or damaging or vandalizing, you know, a million pound plus car. Um, don't get me wrong, I've had it before in Ferraris and Porsches and stuff, I've had it. Um, I see the other spectrum more, and even my wife laughs about it, that people are very shallow and people do bend over backwards and treat you completely different depending on what car you drive. Now, I've got a story about this. About three or four years ago, um, my wife... It was her birthday and she she doesn't she never asked me for anything and I know she wanted one of these Hermes Birkin bags that you can't get and they're they're way overpriced, they're the Bugatti of bags. And um I was in London and I'd had a, a a good day, a good deal, and I thought, you know what, I'm gonna go and buy one of these bags. I'm thinking you can just walk in the shop. I just go like, all right, I'll have one of those. Well you can't. But my mum has quite a lot of these bags. And she said, look, if you go to the store, see the uh, manager of the store, her name's whatever her name is. Um, tell her who you are. She knows me. She might bump you up the list or she might have something that might, you, you know, might fit. Okay, no problem. So that day, I'm in London doing business. I'm not floating up and down, posing in a Bugatti or a Pagani. You know, I'm just... I'm, I'm, my, my work's heads on. So I'm kind of dressed as I am now, like smart-ish. Um, but I'm driving a Volkswagen Golf, which was a car that I used every day. I had one, my dad had one, the salesman had one, and that was our three pool cars. So I've pulled up side the Hermes shop on Sloan Street, got out the car. There's a guy on the door. There's nobody in the shop, by the way, but there's 20 members of staff. There's a guy on the door. He's like looking at me through the glass door as if like, what do you want? So I'm like, you know, can, can I come in, please? So he finally let me in. I asked to see the manager, whatever her name was. There was nobody in the store. Uh, sorry, sir. Without even checking. Sorry, sir. She's busy. She's, um, she's not going to be available. Well, I don't mind waiting. So she's not going to be available. I'm sorry. Okay. So I thought, I can't believe this. So I, I mentioned, do you have any of these, these bags around? No, sir. <laughs> Not a chance, sir. Sorry. No, no, no. Big weight in this. And we only supply to the, you know, the elite customers and blah, blah, blah. Okay. All right. Made me feel like a piece of rubbish, if I'm honest. Uh, got in the car, drove off. That was that. That was on the Thursday. On the Saturday, me and my wife are in London in the Bugatti. And driving down Sloan Street, because I used to park at the Millennium Hotel, which is around the back of Knightsbridge and Sloan Street. And I thought, you know what? I'm going to park outside the Hermes shop and see how they react. Parked outside the Hermes shop. Same guys on the door. Same guys that ran out the shop before I can even turn the car off. He's at the door. He's at my wife's door. Open the door for her. Run around, Mike. Open my door. I'm pissed at this point. Like, I'm, I'm really aggravated. 
So I've got out. So um, Mitzi, my wife, her name's Mitzi, she said, um, what are we doing going in here? I said, I've got one of these bags. I said, I'll buy you one of these bags. Oh, will you, will you, will you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So got into the store. The manager has his waiting for me with two glasses of champagne. Now, bear in mind, I've got a pair of trainers on, a pair of jeans, a T-shirt, not dressed like I was on Thursday. Well, Thursday, I looked like I had a few quid. Today, I don't. I'm just super casual. So, talked to the lady, didn't tell her who I was, didn't tell her she knew my mum, didn't say anything like that. Um, told her what I wanted to buy. Okay, sir, we'd, we'd feel more comfortable if you come in the private room. Took me downstairs, took me to a private room, brought out three of these bags. Right? I'm fuming. My wife thinks Christmas has come early. Um, but I can't help it, it's just the way I am. So I turned around to the guy that was on the door. I said, you don't remember me, do you? No, sir. I said, you do remember me. I said, because I was in here 48 hours ago. I said, and you didn't, you didn't want, really want to let me in the shop. I said, and you, to the manager, I said, you didn't even have the time to come and speak to me. I said, not knowing who I was or the relationship that you have with my family, you didn't have, you didn't have a chance to speak to me. I said, but today, because I'm not in a Volkswagen Golf, which by the way, it kind of is a glorified Volkswagen Golf. Um, today, you, I can buy three bags. I said, you know what you can do with your bags? Stick them right up your ass. Don't want one. Walked out. My wife's like, what's going on? Am I having one of these bags or not? I said, no, not having one of these bags. And just left and walked out. So that's the difference you get trip. Are you uh, now blacklisted from her? No, no, no. She has a couple now. (laughs) (laughs) Fair enough. A perception is everything, love, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, you know, which is, which is, which is wrong. You know, for instance, you know, I I do use it to, um, to my advantage sometimes. You'd be stupid not to. Mm. You know, as examples, if I, if I can't get a restaurant, if I can't get a table in a restaurant that I want to get to, if I send them a direct message on Instagram, they'll get me a table because they see a blue tick and they see a few followers and they see, oh, he might come and spend a few quid tonight. Yeah, we'll get him a table. You know, there's no such thing as we haven't got any tables, sir. Mm. That doesn't exist. There is on the phone to someone you don't know, but to someone who you want in your restaurant, there's, not, there's no such thing. You mentioned about, we talk, spoke about Pagani, we spoke about Bagay. What's your take on Kona's egg? Um... My take on Conan's Egg, the new generation of Conan's Egg are incredible cars. You see, you have to compare them or anyone has to compare them to a Pagani because they're the same age manufacturer. They're privately owned, uh, both of them. They come around the same time. They both built the same kind of car, you know, an elite, a jump up from a Ferrari or a Lamborghini. It was an elite car. And Pagani hit the floor running. You know, they made possibly one of the greatest cars. Their first car was one of the greatest cars to ever be produced. Well, unfortunately, Koenigsegg didn't. They made awful cars that didn't work, that were dangerous, that, you know, killed people. Um, but their, their new breed of cars, they do things that no other car could remotely dream of doing. When you hear about their numbers and their statistics from from zero to 250 miles an hour back to zero, 13 seconds quicker than a Pagan, uh, quicker than a Bugatti, 13 seconds quicker than a Bugatti. It's like, what? I mean, is that, how do you do that? You know? And when you think of the, 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 the money that goes into R&D for, 
for, for, for Bugatti is funded by Volkswagen. You know, Koenigsegg is funded by Koenigsegg. So I've got a lot of respect for them, for their cars. Um, Christian Koenigsegg, I've met on many, many, many occasions. Um, great guy, really nice family. The family are fantastic. Um, and they, they, they're making cars that do things that no other car can do. Their previous cars were awful. I have actually been in the Koenigsegg. Uh, someone took me out in one. In uh, A friend of mine has got a lovely shop in Sunningdale called uh, Greens. Um, men fashion shop go yeah. all the time spend way too much money in there round the corner is that super super ventura that's it one of the guys there took me out and i've got to tell you it was scary how mm. quick that thing went oh, it was something. really really scary but i always think i always think yeah it's quick and it looks good but it just doesn't have that sound like a bagani's on the would mm-hmm. do or even like a lamborghini svj Mm-hmm. And I think part of the reason why you do buy these cars is that wow factor. Could be the doors, could be the look, but that sounds. I think it's crucial to have that sound. I think it's crucial not to have an engine light on. And the the Koenigseggs that I've owned over the years, I mean, don't get me wrong, we've owned Koenigseggs from start until the current model. And that's why I, I see such a big change. Um, every single one of them had an engine light on. We had one of the most expensive Koenigseggs for sale that Koenigsegg ever produced two years ago. The car was like four million pounds and the engine light was just on. And when I called Koenigsegg UK, Super Ventura, and said like, the engine light's on this car, you know, um, and it's not starting. They were like, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, yeah, they, they do that sometimes. What do you mean they do that sometimes? Like, it's a four million pound car. Yeah, well... Just leave it for 10 minutes and go back and it, it might not like turn it off, turn it back on kind of thing. Like this is not a PlayStation. This is, this is a four million pound car. But like I say, the new breed that's coming through, they're, they're, they're groundbreaking performance that they, they're giving on their cars. I'm very excited about what's coming from Koenigsegg. Yeah. I listened to your dad and yourself on, on another podcast and uh, the conversation come up about electric cars. Mm-hmm. Um, I've asked the same sort of question to Shmi actually, 150, Tim, because um, as you well know, he's got a great channel, a uh, mm-hmm. bunch of different cars, yeah. went to his Shmi museum, uh, walked around his cars, and maybe not so much him, but other people coming behind him. I said to him, is it a bit of a threat that your channel is under, is going to be under in, in the future because of these uh, electric cars coming through? I mean, the reality is they, they're not that sexy. They're not don't have the wow sound and but it looks like they're 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 coming with full force what's your take on the the electric car industry um first and foremost i'm going to go right controversial here and i'm going to say that i don't believe in 2030 we will have to drive electric cars same i think um well number one we're nowhere near the infrastructure that we need in order to do that. Um, number two, I think Porsche and Siemens are up to something to create this synthetic biofuel or something that's going to give off less emissions. And long story short, I don't think we're going to have to drive electric cars. I think it's good that inner cities promote the fact of electric cars to try and be green and try and help the planet. Um, that's good. You can't call yourself a car enthusiast and drive an electric car. Full stop. You, you don't like cars if you drive an electric car. 
That's it. A Tesla's not a car. A Tesla's a computer with wheels. And Elon Musk might have a bad day and say something, which, by the way, I love Elon Musk, but he might have a bad day and he might say something, and the, the Tesla price on actual physical cars will crash because he said something that the Chinese don't like or he said something that Brits don't like or, you know, he, he might have just done something. I don't get involved with Teslas, if I'm honest. Electric cars, as in, you know, Porsche Taycans, we, we, we sell. I find people more buy those kind of things to run them through their business as a tax break and to just have a car that's a bit of free motoring that comes off their tax bill. Um, no one sits at home, I don't think, well, certainly none of my customers sit at home and go, oh, God, you know what? I've got the horn for a Turbo S Taycan. I really want one of those. They're unbelievable. Look how great it looks. You know, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a business asset. So no, not a fan. I'm 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 in sales, obviously, you know, promoting uh, different artists and, and artworks, and a big part of sales is having ha having goals, not just for the business, but for yourself. Big believer of having vision boards and writing stuff down, etc. And no salesperson, I've been around a lot, you know, in different industries, property salespeople. I agree with you. No one has on their vision board an electric car. It's always a Lamborghini. It's always a Ferrari. No, they might do, but they're not car people. You know, they're not car people. They're people who think, I need a car and I can get a grant from the government and it comes off my tax, so I may as well buy an electric one. Or Greta Thunberg's people, they drive electric cars. A car lover, a petrol head, even, even certain models, like, okay, because of um, emissions and stuff, a lot of manufacturers have to go to, instead of having a five litre, they've gone to a three litre. Instead of having a V8, they've gone to a V6, e-hybrid, EcoBoost, whatever. And it's a shame because some of the cars they've done that with are beautiful cars and the performance is amazing, but no one wants a £350,000 V6. You want a screaming V10 or a V8 or a V12. I love V12s. Um, yeah, I don't want a V6. I wouldn't buy a V6. Mm. I know that's the way of the world. And if you want the new thing out, then that's what you've got to buy. Personally, it's not me. Well, it's a bit like the Formula One uh, cars. I mean, they sound good. They're I mean, remember near. the V10 ones. Wait, was it, did, so was it, so I think I went, you'll know more than I do. Uh, it was one of the last, it was the last season I was in uh, Monaco watching the Grand Prix there from Capital Paris and I watched the uh, qualifiers on the yacht. <coughs> And I think it was the V8s. Yeah. And they were just unbelievable. The sound was incredible. Mm -hmm. I've only been to the Formula One, I think, two or three times. Um, I imagine you've probably been a lot more than me. What was it like listening to a V10 oh, in the flesh? I mean, you know, I, I seen a clip on Instagram recently of Lewis Hamilton talking. And he, he was talking like in like say last year and they were parading the three engines around the track there was the the v8 the v10 and whatever v6 thing they have at the minute the hedra yeah and when that v10 went past he actually stopped the interview and he went oh my god that sound i miss that sound like even the drivers they love the sound i mean this i don't think there's no better sound in a car than a screaming v10 you know a carrera gt a lexus lfa they're the best sounding cars in the world for me yeah Crashes. 
I know in 2020, there was an article here from uh, Am Online talking about a Ferrari 488 Spider, I think, and a Porsche 118 Cayman GTS. 718 Cayman GTS. Yeah, yeah. okay. Um, what happened there? Um, what happened there? Can't really remember. Okay. If I'm honest. Um, traveling a little bit too fast. And um, things happened very quickly and uh, got myself in a bit of a muddle. I mean, must have not been the, the must have not been the, the, the first crash you've had. I mean, being around cars all your life, you must have had a couple of nicks. Yeah, but you know what? It actually, it actually was the the first crash. Like a cra- that was a crash. Um, you know, being run up the arse or or clipping a wing or something. You know, that's not a, that's that's a bump. You know, a crash is a. I mean, that was a crash. Yeah, not not the greatest moment of my life, and not the thing I'm most proud of. But look, accidents happen, and it was an accident, and I paid the cost. Um, you know, I, I got quite bad press about it. Um, I feel as if though I wouldn't have been me, and I wouldn't have been in a four five eight spider with Carl's on the number plate. Um, no one would have heard anything about it. It would have been oh two cars had a bump uh but because it was me it was it hit the media it hit the press um people wanted to try and uh make something out of it that there wasn't but you know in the end the truth shall set you free and it turned out to just be it was just a crash it was just a misjudgment mm. the um Look, listen, any press is good press in, in my opinion and uh, more and more people got to find out about you. Talk to me about social media. You've mm-hmm. been 35 years of age. You're mm-hmm. in a different sort of time in your life to, to where your dad was many, mm-hmm. many years ago. My old man has never, ever gone near social media, but your dad uses it. Oh, so my dad loves it. How important is social media to you and your dad for business? Extremely important. I can't, I can't stress how important it is. Um, personally on my page, I don't do any, uh, boost ads or, or anything like that. Or, um, because when I started my personal page, I'm just a normal human being. I just wanted a social media page and I just started, obviously the business had its own page, which is Tom Hartley cars, which me dad kind of, um, runs really. Um, my page is just purely, you know, for, for me, just showing people cars. And, and and then it turned into, wow, God, I've just, I posted that car five minutes ago. Just, oh, bought this today. And I've sold it off of a message on Instagram. So now I, um, I really, I post more about cars and business than I do in my personal life. Um, but I do and I don't because that is my personal life. My personal life is buying cars and selling cars. So, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's very, very important. I can't stress how important it is. And recently I bumped into somebody, he owned a restaurant and, um, he was telling me about like the price of living, how it's gone up. And a lot of people don't come to the restaurant as they used to, they don't spend the same kind of money. And I said, well, how's your, how's your social media page doing? What, what do you do on social media to boost, to get customers? And he's like, oh, I can't bother with social media. And I was like, you are in the stone age. You know, this is free advertising from, you know, all you need is someone like, I mean, I'm not an influencer by no means, but if I came and said, just had a fantastic meal at such and such's restaurant, 
can't wait to come back. I guarantee you'd get a few more customers. Then that few more customers do it. You get a few more customers. Next thing you know, you're rammed. It's cost you nothing. It's just cost you time. What's, what's like the biggest deal then you've done over Instagram, for example, from, oh. from a direct message? So uh, anyone who knows me knows that I am flat out on WhatsApp all day. That's where I do predominantly most of my business is on WhatsApp. Because I'm in meetings, my customers are in meetings, so you get two minutes to send a WhatsApp. Same thing on direct messages on um, on Instagram. You know, I've, I've sold a LaFerrari Aperta, which is, you know, a four and a half million pound car. Off to somebody who I know, but he first seen the car on my Instagram, messaged me how much it was. He lowballed me with a figure. We finally got to an agreement within, I don't know, seven or eight messages back and forward and paid half an hour later. Next day he had the car, job done. Fulfilling. Just, it's free. It's free. <laughs> people, people can't work it out. You know, we do, we do promote some ads on our business page. Obviously, it's stupid not to. Um, but I think my page is more successful with deals that we do than the business page, which I find strange. But I, I, I feel like people like to put a face to a page. You know, they want to know that actually they are talking to you and they're not talking to someone who handles a business page. You know, they're talking to me directly. It's my page. So um, that's why a lot of people, I think, come come directly to me. Well, the old saying that we used to hear all the time when I started as a salesperson back when I was like 19, 20 years of age is people buy people first before they buy the product. Yeah, yeah I agree with that. I agree with that. I agree with that 100%. I think there's people who won't deal with people because they don't like them, they don't get on with them, and rather not give them the business. Um, and there's people who would rather give someone more because of what they mean to them or what they are or how much they like them or how much they get on, Yeah, you know? Just to round off this conversation then, uh, Khan, I really appreciate your time. You're a very successful man. So is your, your dad, your brand, and bundles of energy, and I love what you're doing. Someone that wants to, not necessarily get in the car trade, but get into business for the first time, or maybe into the car trade, what sort of advice, what sort of tips could you give someone? Um, well, I think the same principles apply whatever business you're in. Um, you know, getting up and working nine to five is not going to get you anywhere. So that's first and foremost. Um, you've got to be up earlier before everybody else. You have to go to bed later than everybody else. And you have to do things that other people are not willing to do. Um, what, are they, what, are, what are those things? Well, they could be, you know, as an example... And this is not a, you know, oh, this is what I've done one time. It's a story. This is a daily or a weekly thing for me. It's, it's, it's not a big deal. You know, I, I'd take a call at, you know, half three, four o'clock um, from a guy who's selling a car in Plymouth, which is five hours away from me. Or it could be in, Dun like last week I'd done it in Dundee. Um, and okay, right. I'll be there in five hours. Prices have not been discussed. But I know that no one's going to pay more than me for that car. I also know that someone's going to buy it because it's for sale. So rather than me give a price for a car that, I mean, this is not a brand new car. So, you know, it does need looking at, you know, it needs to be inspected. I'll get in the car and I'll, drive, I'll come home at 2 a.m. You know, I won't see my kids for four or five or six days when I'm living in the same house as them. I won't see them because I'm putting business first because it's important to me, because 
actually, I'm doing it for them. And, you know, someone who goes around and goes, oh, it's four o'clock. Oh, I'll do that tomorrow. Oh, no, actually, I can't do that tomorrow. I'll do that next Thursday. Well, next Thursday, that car's gone. Somebody else owns it. I own it because I went that day. Um, so you've just got to, you've got to, um, you've got to be willing to do what other people won't do. And that could be, that could be putting in the hours. It could be, um, taking risks. I believe in taking risks. You know, I think, I don't think there's ever been a successful businessman who hasn't taken a risk. Yeah. On that note, a bit of wisdom from you. Has there been any regrets in your business life that you look back on and think, I should have, I should have done that or I wish I didn't do that. Uh, look, there's, there's, there's deals and cars every week that you you think of oh, you know i should have maybe just bought that or oh, i should have took his money for that but you know you move on he's not the only seller and he's not the only buyer there's 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 more out there you just you just move on um sure i've made loads of mistakes in my you know 23 years of being in the car business um but were they mistakes because i feel like they made me better on my next deal or they learned me a lesson you don't necessarily learn from winning. You know, you need to know how to win, but you don't learn from it. You learn from losing. You learn from mistakes. And I think those mistakes make you win. Yeah, I like that. Last couple of points. Ferrari or Lamborghini? Which one's a better brand, but which one do you prefer? Ferrari's a better brand, without doubt. Um, Ferrari's one of the best brands in the world. Forget cars in the world, in any in anything, Ferrari is one of the best brands. Um, I love Lamborghini. Um, yeah, I'm probably going to say Lamborghini for me, you know, and Aventador SVJ Roadster is, I love that car. I've only ever owned one Ferrari and it was a 458. Mm-hmm. And don't get me wrong, great, great car. Before that, I had a Lamborghini Gallardo Spider. Um, it was a yellow one. It, it was my world and my business partner went to test drive the 458 and the guy said to me why don't you go for a test drive after a guy called um what's his name tom it was <coughs> hro and uh, his name for, for, uh, escapes me you'll probably definitely know him so i went out in it and i had owned a glider for like two years and I thought, hey, it's quite cool. This is quite a cool car. I never owned Ferrari and I'd like to own one. So I ended up buying it. And I've got to say, after about a week, I was like, I really fucking miss that, that Gallardo already. And you're talking about a Gallardo in today's world is shit. Yeah. Like, obviously not then, but in today's world, a 458 is a far superior car yeah. than a Gallardo. But a Lamborghini just gives you that feel. Do you get what I'm saying? Yeah. The V10, the sound. The sound's great. It doesn't... Gearbox like, is awful. Yeah. Compared to a 458, yeah. it's terrible. Well, this is how I describe it, right? If you're going to get married, you want to get married to the perfect person or as, as, as perfect as they can be. Someone mm-hmm. who's honest, someone who's beautiful, someone who's elegant, someone that does all the right things and just great, you know, mother to your kids, etc. The reality is, though, there could be a, a less of a bird who you know you don't want to marry, but on a weekend is absolutely fun, you know, but yeah. a little bit annoying at the same time, yeah, but yeah, absolutely yeah. makes you laugh. And, yeah, yeah. you know, it's, it's a real good, dirty weekend, but you always have to go back to yeah, yeah. The, 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 the nice wife. The Ferrari Lamborghini remind me of that. And the Ferrari felt too perfect. Yeah. It almost felt like it done. It was just too easy to drive. Whereas the Lamborghini, I wanted it to break my back. That's why mm-hmm. I bought it. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm, look, I, I get that 100%. And you can go on the spectrum further. And you can, you can incorporate Porsche. And um, Porsche are way too good at what they do. 
they're way too good at what they do. God, they make some boring cars. Oh, they're awfully boring. But they, they do. I mean, I've never been so bored going to 0 to 60 in 2.3 seconds in my life than what I am in a Porsche. But that's what they do. They make incredibly usable, incredibly quick cars, and they're for a more conservative buyer. I can tell a Lamborghini owner when I see one. He doesn't even have to open his mouth. I can just tell by the way he walks, the way he's dressed. I can tell he's a Lamborghini owner. I can also do that with Porsche. Now, where Ferrari's great, and you're a perfect example, is the Porsche owner will go into Ferrari. The Lamborghini owner will go into a Ferrari. Very rare a Porsche owner goes to a Lamborghini. They're, they're chalk and cheese. I mean, I'm on about for supercars. I'm not on about, oh, I've got a, a Panamera Turbo. That's a family car. And I've also got an Aventador. I'm on about, I've got a Turbo S and an Aventador. I'm going to swap my Turbo S for an Aventador. It doesn't really happen. Hmm. They're two completely different buyers. I mean, a Lamborghini owner is flamboyant, wants to be seen, wants to be... I mean, the worst color in a Lamborghini is gray. It's an awful color. In any other car, it's great. In a Lamborghini, no one wants a gray Lamborghini. You know, you want an orange, a green, a yellow, a matte black, you know. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm a big Lamborghini fan. I had Aventadors uh, consecutively for about seven years. And, um, God, the gearbox was awful. And they drove not very good compared to... I had a, an F12 and an 812 Ferrari in the mixed. And they were just far superior. But they the doors don't go up. And I'm a sucker for silly things. Like, I love the doors on my Pagani, you know. I was offered to buy a Roadster pretty much for the same price as what I bought my coupe for. But you don't get special doors on a Roadster. The doors just open. Well, if I'm given two and a half million pounds for a car, something special has got to happen with the door. Like, that's got to happen. So, I went for the coupe. Um, yeah, it's... Um, I love Lambo. Rolls-Royce or Bentley? Rolls-Royce. Why? Well, it's the ultimate statement of success if you drive a Rolls-Royce more so than any other car you see that flying lady the spirit of ecstasy on the front of your car you've done well you've not made it but you've done well you're on the right path yeah. I don't think any other car gives me that same feeling I mean that's I'd get as big a buzz out of driving a Rolls-Royce Phantom as I would the Pagani you know, I, that's, I'm in a Rolls Royce. Excellent. Here's the last question. When I first come up with, with my first brand, uh, Cole, my first company when I was like 24 years of age, it was a sales company. And to keep the sales people in check, they were predominantly men, alpha type male environment. Mm -hmm. We come up with a mantra and the mantra goes like this. Be happy, never content. Now, if I were to ask Cole Hartley, what does be happy, never content actually mean to you? Oh, well, it's, I think that's a simple question. Um, and I say to my wife all the time, we've got some, we've got friends who are lovely, lovely, lovely people. And as a couple, they're extremely content, which is my biggest fear. My biggest fear is being content. I think if you're content, you've given up. I'm happy with, with what I have or what I am or where I am. Now, you should be. You should be, because we're all very blessed. And you should be happy. But you should also want to be better um be happy for me is doing doing things that make you happy if you can be happy doing something for, for a living 
then you'll never work a day in your life. But don't be content with doing the same thing every day. You'll get nowhere. Mm. Wicked answer. Thank you very much for your time, mate. No problem. Thank you. You've been an absolute star. Really, really enjoyed the conversation. Um, hope the subscribers are uh, uh, getting value out of it. Subscribe, uh, share it, and be happy, never content. And thanks once again, Carl. Thank you. Cheers, Cheers mate. Thank you. Thank, thank you. you.